The greatest lack in the American church today is not volunteers or preachers or seminaries or Bibles or even money. Our greatest lack is the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. It is the thing we most need. It's not by great programs or by powerful orators or by worldly gimmicks that a new spirit of godliness will be born in the church. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Holy Spirit? Holy Ghost? Who is this Holy Spirit anyway? Well, don't go anywhere. I will be right back and we'll take a look. Every life needs a purpose to which it can give the energies of its mind and the enthusiasm of its heart. Hello all, and welcome to A Victorious Life is Yours. There is a place here reserved just for you to be inspired, uplifted, encouraged, and strengthened in your daily walk of life in every area of your life, spirit, mind, and body. I'm Renee Marie Jones, your host, and I love and live to empower people to make a difference in their own lives as well as everyone that they come into contact with. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's get started, Victorious Ones. Hello all and happy Friday to everyone out there that is listening to this a Victorious Life is Yours podcast. So I hope that you had a great week uh, this past week. Um, as always, these weeks are just, the days are going by. We are already in the month of June, halfway into the year of 2020. So I um, am definitely looking forward to this weekend as I always am. And I know that you are as well. So I hope you are staying safe out there and uh, practicing all of your social distancing and wearing your masks and uh, really, you know, being prayerful for our nation, for our country, for families, for your loved ones. So anyway, I just had to share that with you guys. That's really been on my heart. So we're going to go ahead and continue on with our study of a the missing link in talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, last week, as we were talking about the Holy Spirit, we were looking at how he uh, ministers in the uh, life of the believer and what he does in the life of the believer. So we're not going to go back over that, however, but I do encourage you to, if you haven't uh, listened to the podcast, that that uh, particular episode of the podcast that you go back to um, listening to last week's episode as we talked and shared about the Holy Spirit's life in the life of the believer, how he actually manifests himself in our lives, what he does in our lives. Okay, so today we're going to start our looking at um, the Holy Spirit, his gifts. We're going to begin to look at his gifts. Now, one of the things that I want, I do want to go back to is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And that is when um, Jesus, before his ascension, and he gave the disciples specific instructions. So he was with them and he told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you 
and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, what I want us to pay attention to is he talked about that, number one, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. And we know that the Holy Spirit came and filled the 120 that were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So that happened. They received the power when the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And then it says that you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, which is the general vicinity, and then in Judea, which were the which was the country of which Jerusalem was in, and Samaria, which was again outside of Judea, and then the ends of the earth. So look at the the circumference and the geographics that um, that Jesus is sharing here. He says, you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That means at home. It starts at home. And then in Judea. So, you know, if we put it in, in today's terminology and looking at today's application, we could say you're going to be witnesses of me in your neighborhood, in your city. And then in your state. And then in other states and then in the world the end of the earth to the end of the earth would be the whole world so the holy spirit was given so that the disciples could be witnesses to empower them to be witnesses and that is exactly what we started seeing them do uh as the after the day of pentecost we uh after they were filled with the holy spirit peter explained pentecost peter preached 3,000 souls were saved, but they were still in Jerusalem when this happened, okay? So we begin to see them start moving out. When you look at the book of Acts, they're starting to move out into Jerusalem and into other areas outside of uh, to, to preach the gospel. Now, the power, they must receive the power first because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. This power is indispensable for us as Christians. It's needful for us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to be his witness. A man may be highly talented or a woman may be highly talented, intensely trained and widely experienced. However, without spiritual power, we, he, she is ineffective. And then on the other hand, a man may be uneducated, unattractive, unrefined, but yet let that person be endued with the power of the Holy Spirit and the world will turn out to see him burn for God. Remember, the disciples were fearful prior to and they needed power for witnessing. They needed holy boldness for preaching the gospel. And that is what they received when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now, their witness was to begin in Jerusalem. OK, and then it's the very city where it's interesting that that's the very city where the Lord was crucified. OK, and that that was where they all were first called to repentance and faith in him. And then in Judea, which was the southern section of Palestine, it had a strong Jewish population and Jerusalem was its cheap city. And then Samaria, Samaria was the region in the center of Palestine and it had a half breed population and half breed was this group was a group of people that were half Jews and half Gentiles. Okay. And they were not very well liked. 
And then the end of the, the known world, which is talking about the Gentile countries, which were outside. So this was the commission that um, Jesus gave the disciples before he was taken into heaven. So the Holy Spirit gives us power to be witnesses. He's very much involved in that. And that's the change that took place because originally, and at first when the gospel first went out, it went out to the Jews. Remember, they were in Jerusalem. They lived in Jerusalem. But what was interesting is that on the day of Pentecost, the people that were represented, that had come to the Feast of Unleavened Bread and come to the Feast of Tabernacle and came to uh, Pentecost to celebrate those feasts, that they were from all nations of the known world. And so the gospel, they got to hear, hear the gospel in their own known tongue and language because this is what the disciples preached the gospel in, in the known tongues. So God had already began to start opening up those doors for the gospel to go past just Judea and Jerusalem, but to go to Samaria, to go to the uttermost parts of the world. Okay, so that's what he did by speaking the languages of all men. And he also showed that it was through the mouths of people that he was going to speak to all men. God didn't use angels to preach the gospel. He used the mouths of men and women who were present that day. And he put his tongue of fire upon them so that they could speak in other known languages. Again, this was the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon the power that came upon these men and women to preach the gospel. So God shows us that this is the means that he has ordained that he wants the gospel to go forth into the world. This is the, 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 the method that God has chosen. The Holy Spirit gives us the power and turns men and women into missionaries. <laughs> you know, anybody, not just the pastor, the preacher, the teacher, you know, we often think that it's just the job of the pastor or a minister or someone who is quote unquote ordained of God to go forth and preach the gospel. Preach just seems simply means to proclaim, but no, this is for all people. God calls every one of his people to be missionaries wherever he places them, be it to be a missionary for him on your job, to be a missionary for him in the classroom, to be a missionary for him in the locker room, the gym locker room, to be a missionary for him uh, at the grocery store, at the cleaners, in the restaurant, wherever you are, God commissions us. Remember, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel in the name of Jesus. And he empowers us through the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us, Holy Spirit gives us the power to do that, to spread the salvation message. We need zeal to be used by God. You know, evangelism, which is what it means to go forth to preach the gospel, it's, it's not just for the evangelist who's one of the fivefold ministry. We all are given and have been given the ministry of reconciliation, where we are talking to men and women, boys and girls, about the gospel of Jesus, to reconcile them back to Jesus, to let them know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel message. 
So this is a task that belongs to all of us. Okay. So in order to empower us for ministry, the Holy Spirit, he moves in our hearts. He gives us love and compassion for others. He fills us with the love and the fear of God. I'm talking about a holy reverential fear of God so that we don't fear men. I remember when I first got saved, I could not stop telling people and talking about Jesus. This was many years ago. I just was so empowered and so passionate and so full of the love of Jesus that I wanted everybody to know and hear the good news is good news. You know how it is when you get something that's good. When you get a, a hear good news, you want to share it with everybody. When you see a good movie, you want to share it with everybody. You want to tell them about the good movie or if you had a delicious, wonderful, delectable meal at a good restaurant, you want to tell people about it. Well, it's the same thing about the gospel. When, when God has saved us and delivered us and healed us and then filled us with his spirit and sealed us with the Holy Ghost, we can't help but desire to share that message with everyone. So that, you know, the Holy Spirit, Bill, he's the one that fills our hearts with the love of, of God so that we don't fear men. And so we won't be afraid. I was leaving tracks at that time. I was flying for the airlines, a flight attendant for the airlines. I would leave gospel tracks in the hotel rooms that I stayed in. If I went to a restaurant, I would leave a track on the table uh, for the server. I would, I, I even went as far as one time I went into a grocery store and went into the liquor section you know, they sell liquor, like beer, at least in the grocery stores. And I would slip tr gospel tracts in the beer cases. <laughs> so this is what we do because the Holy Spirit puts in us a Christ-like attitude, an attitude that wants men and women to know Christ, an attitude of, of love, the agape kind of love, an attitude that we want to do good, that we want to value others, an attitude that doesn't just look past people, but we look at each person that God puts in front of us and recognize them to have been made in the image of God. And they need God's love. And so when we come into contact with these people and we see them as God sees them, when we see each person as God sees them, you know, we, we know that that person's not just there to take our money and give us a receipt cashier or a person who just comes to fix something in our house or a person that we just happen to pass by. He teaches us to look at others in the same way that Christ looks at them. The Holy Spirit is the one who puts love in our hearts, love for Christ, love for Christ's kingdom, love for the lost, love for the things that pertain to God. And there's power in love. That is the power. Love will drive you and drive me to do things that could never and would never have been done otherwise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear some translations say, but a spirit of power, there it is, and love and discipline. So love is power. And the Holy Spirit gives us power through the love of Jesus, the love that we have, the love of Christ for, the, for people, that same kind of love. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses. However, sometimes, you know, and I know this happens to me, even now, you know, some 30 plus years after the fact, sometime, you know, I may feel a little timid, even though God has not given me a spirit of fear, 
or timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind, as 2 Timothy 1.7 just says. We just heard that. But sometimes I don't feel bold. But the disciples had the same issue. When we look at uh, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. Let's take a look at that. Now, this was after um, Peter and uh, John were put into custody <clears throat> because they were preaching the gospel and uh, um, they were arrested for doing so and they were threatened not to preach the gospel any longer. But because of the boldness of Peter and John, it says we can't help but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Because again, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you are being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't help but speak the truth of the gospel. So they said that they were going to continue to do this. They, they had no choice but to do this. Verse 23 says in Acts chapter four, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So this was coming from David's writing in Psalms chapter two, verses one and two. You know, David was saying that the people are angry. Why are they angry? Why are they plotting evil things against the Lord's chosen ones? And they prayed this prayer, which lets us know that that's a good model to follow that, you know, find a prayer in the Bible and just pray the prayer. So they were praying this prayer of David. Verse 27 says, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They, they looked at and knew the sovereignty of God, that God allowed these things to happen because that was his plan. Verse 29, look, this is their prayer. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It says, and when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, remember, we were talking about that, that you can be you are baptized in the Holy Spirit one time, but there are many feelings. There are many feelings. There, there are many feelings. There's many feelings where you are endued with the power, the power of God, just the power of the Holy Spirit just overwhelms you and it enables you to do what is necessary and needful. And so they prayed this prayer for boldness to preach the gospel and God granted to them the answer to their prayer. He granted to them the answer to their prayer. And it said that the place was filled with the, the place shook as they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. That is what you and I must do as well. 
when God is calling us to go someplace and, and to speak something or to say something to somebody, pray this prayer of boldness. Lord, you know, let me speak with boldness. And if it's a place where, you know, the gospel is, is, is railed on or, you know, people are trying to say now that you can't read your Bible on your job or you can't preach, uh, out in the open, you know, the word of God is the, the Bible and the word of God and the people are God. We're talking about persecution in other countries and nations, but the word of God, America is not really a Christian nation any longer. It is not one nation under God because there are so many laws and uh, principles and just the culture itself and society itself have become anti-Christian. Even within our own country, the country upon which Christianity was founded and uh, established. So there's times when you and I are going to need boldness in order to speak the word of God, in order to speak the truth of the Bible. And this is a good place to reference to, to come back to, to know that the Holy Spirit will give us the boldness to speak the word of God, to preach the word of God, to teach the word of God. And, you know, to do whatever we need to do to proclaim the gospel in places, perhaps where it may not be acceptable to do so. So that is the boldness that the Holy Spirit gives us still looking at talking about how he empowers us to uh, minister the word of God and how he empowers us to be witnesses, how he empowers us to be witnesses. Let's go to and look at Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight. It says, now Paul was consenting to his death. This was after the uh, death of Philip. Philip was the, he was a deacon in the church and he was the first uh, martyr of the New Testament church, the early church. He preached this powerful sermon. And again, when you go back and read Acts chapter seven, especially near the end of it, look at verse 35. 55 Acts 7 55 he says but he being full of the well, look at 54 when they the people who he was preaching to heard these things they were cut to their heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth you know how when people are angry they just start gritting their teeth and grinding their teeth but he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it said that they began to cry out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears because he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. So there again, we see that Jesus is at the right hand of God in heaven, standing at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit is here with us. They couldn't take it. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now, the people who uh, stoned him, they laid their clothes down at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is where we are first introduced to the apostle. Well, apostle Paul, but his name was Saul then. Verse 59 says, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, chapter eight says, now Saul was consenting to his death, meaning he was giving permission to that. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. 
and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, this is key because that is what Jesus said. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. The problem was that they had not ventured out of Judea and Jerusalem yet. But because of persecution, persecution, and it's amazing how God, in his sovereign wisdom and power, knows exactly how to get a thing done. He scattered them. He allowed the persecution to come about so that they would be scattered to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. It said that verse two and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, verse four, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And in verse five, it says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, I, I might have said Philip, one of the deacons, I, I was mistaken. I meant Stephen. Stephen was um, the person that they stoned after he preached the gospel to them. He was the person. Stephen was the first martyr. He, they stoned Stephen. But Philip, who was one of the deacons in the church, he went to the city of Samaria and he said he preached Christ to them. But this only came about because the scattering and the expansion of the gospel from just Jews to the Gentiles only came about because of persecution, the, the persecution of the church. Okay. So again, needing the boldness to preach the gospel. Now, so the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses so that we can preach and proclaim the gospel to the lost world, a lost world, you and I. But the way that we do that is he also gives us tools, tools. Okay. So these are also gifts of the spirit, tools of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to look at a set of tools in Romans chapter 12. We're going to go to Romans chapter 12 to begin. And I'm kind of taking things out of order as far as the way that they're presented in the Bible. But this is the way that the Holy Spirit wanted us to take a look at them. Okay. So we're going to go to, to Romans chapter 12. And uh, we're going to start with and look at Romans 12 verses 3 through 8. It says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God dealt to each one a measure of faith. Verse 4 says, For as we have many members in one body, but all are not, do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the body of Christ, the church is likened to a body, a human body that, is, that has different members. Our bodies have ears, eyes, nose, arms, feet, toes. Those are the different body or members, I should say, of our physical body. Well, it's the same thing in the church. God has set members in the body in the way that he wants them to be set. 
in that in verse six, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So he goes on to say that God has given to each member in the body a gift or some gifts. Okay. And so he begins to talk about them here. So he says, through the grace that God has given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So Paul is speaking here about prophecy because again, he's saying that every member in the body has a gift and he talks about the gift of prophecy. Now the gifts are different. Everybody's gift is different. It is according to the grace that the Holy Spirit gifts us with. The Holy Spirit gives us these gifts. Okay. He deals out. He imparts these gifts to different people for different reason, reasons. And he gives us the necessary strength or ability to use these gifts. So we are responsible to use these God-given abilities as good stewards. Now, he goes on and talks about prophecy, okay, or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. So prophecy, he talks about prophecy. Those who have the gift of prophecy should prophesy in proportion to their faith. Now, a prophet is a spokesperson for God that declares the word of God. Now, this is the gift of prophecy that we're talking about, though. We're not talking about the office. He's not talking about the office of a prophet, but he's talking about the gift of prophecy. Okay, because the gift of prophecy exhorts, encourages, and builds up the people of God. And that is a gift that, again, the Holy Spirit gives to us. He gives us that gift. The next one that we look at is the gift of ministry. Verse 7 says, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. Okay. So the ministry, that's a, that's a broad term. We know that some people are called into ministry. We have the fivefold ministry, the offices of the fivefold ministry, which is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Now, I always say, and this is how I explain that, because people say, are you a minister of the gospel? And I said, I am. The Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are what I call the specialists. It's just like we have doctors, okay? In the medical field, we have physicians or doctors, but they're different doctors. We have a podiatrist who's a foot doctor. We have an optometrist who's an eye doctor. We have a pediatrician who's a doctor for children, okay? We have an obstetrician, which is a doctor for, I think, pregnant women. So cardiologist, which deals with the heart. But these doctors all practice medicine. They all have to go to school to learn about medicine and the physical body and so what have you. But there are specialists. Well, it's the same thing with a minister. A minister of the gospel or a person that God has called to be in ministry is a minister of the gospel. But some ministers have specialties. Some minister of the gospel may be an apostle or a minister may be a prophet, or a minister may be an evangelist, or a minister may be a teacher, okay? So this is what he's talking about, is talking about ministry. Now, it also means having a servant heart. 
Okay. And remember, we've all been called. We just talked about that a little while ago. We all have been given the ministry of reconciliation. It tells us in Corinthians that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Everyone who's born again, everyone who's been saved, everyone who confesses Christ have been given the ministry to reconcile the world back to him, to share the gospel. Remember, that's what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. So it also, so it's talking about having the gift of ministry, having a servant heart to being able to see that as a servant and being able to utilize that wherever we are. The next gift he continues on with, he says, he who teaches a teacher is one who's able to explain the word of God and apply it to the hearts of the hearers. So whatever our gift is, we should give it wholeheartedly. So this is talking about the teacher. There are people who uh, teach the word of God, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now a teacher is in one of the offices of a fivefold ministry of the fivefold ministry. However, there are people who have the gift of teaching as well. Some people who, and, and I see this very clearly in ministries where you have Sunday school teachers, you have people who teach the youth or teach Sunday school to maybe the adults. Now there may not be a minister, but they have the gift of teaching. They, they have the gift and the ability to be able to explain the word of God so that the people who hear it, can apply it. So that's the gift of teaching. We're not talking about the office of a teacher, but the gift of teaching. Okay. Next gift, exhortation, verse eight, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who exhorts in exhortation, exhortation is the gift of stirring people up, stirring people up, encouraging people, uh, pressing on them the word of God, moving them and encouraging them uh, into new achievements and new heights and giving them, um, uh, well, again, exhorting them and encouraging them, you know, to go on in Christ and to go on Jesus. Some people are good exhorters. You know, you, you, if you need a word of encouragement, you go around them and they just lift you up again. That's the gift of exhortation. Another gift is giving. It says, giving, let he who gives do it with liberality. Do it with liberality. Some people have the gift of giving. It's just they are going to give no matter what. You don't have to pull it out of them, pry it out of them. Whenever there's an opportunity to give, they're going to give. And not just give in church, monetary giving. I'm talking about give of their time, give of their energy, give up themselves. It's just a, you know... I've heard someone, I heard someone say not too long ago, they said, wow, this person, you know, they were talking about a person and they said, she just goes out of her way to help people or to give, you know, she doesn't keep anything for herself. If she have it to give and, or she knows that somebody needs so-and-so she's going to give it to them. That person has the gift of giving and they do it liberally. He who leads with Lead with diligence. If you have the gift of leading, lead with diligence. It's, it's almost connected with leading in the church, but you have people who are just gifted leaders. Again, they may not have an office in the church, but they have the ability to lead. People just naturally follow them, want to follow them, desire to follow them. They have the gift of, of leading. 
and it says do it with diligence okay not just you know and they 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 will lead no matter what <laughs> they will be consistent in it and they will be diligent in it and then you have the gift of mercy he who has the gift of mercy show mercy with cheerfulness the gift of mercy it is a supernatural capacity and a talent and a gift for aiding and helping people in distress that you know you are just going to show up no matter what they're going to be the ones at the hospital they're going to be the ones who are going to come to a person's house whenever they uh need something and they're going to come and they're going to want to pray for that person that's the gift of mercy and he encourages us for those who have this gift we should exercise it with cheerfulness we should all show mercy you know and do it cheerfully a Christian lady once said that when my mother became old and needed someone to care for her, my husband and I invited her to come and live with us. I did all I could to make her comfortable. I cooked for her, did her washing, took her out in the car and generally cared for all her needs. But while I was going through the motions outwardly, I was unhappy inside. Subconsciously, I resented the interruption of our usual schedule. Sometimes my mother would say to me, you never smile anymore. Why don't you ever smile? You see, I was showing mercy, but I wasn't doing it with cheerfulness, this woman says. And so that's key. These gifts, when we have been gifted in these areas, it will all be done cheerfully. It won't be a burden. It won't be a burden at all. So those are um, some of the gifts that we have seen and that we see there in Romans chapter 12. Okay, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to start at verse one. Now we're going to be in this chapter for a while. So just get comfortable as we go through this, because we're still looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in first uh, Corinthians chapter 14, it says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Now, remember, we, we talked about this last time when we looked at the gift of tongues and we were talking about tongues is the prayer language of the believer who's baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. That tongues is a prayer language. It's the heavenly language. We don't know what we're praying. We don't know what we're saying when we're praying in the spirit because it is the language of heaven. Now, it's an unknown language to us. The disciples in Pentecost prayed unknown languages to them, but it was known to the men and the women and the people that had gathered there for Pentecost. And God did that for that particular reason. But the gift of tongues, uh, when we pray in tongues, we don't know what we're praying for. We don't understand it, as it says here, but God understands it because we're speaking to God. So it says but he who prophesies speaks there it is, edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. That is the gift of prophecy. Remember, we just looked at that in Romans. The gift of prophecy, not a prophet, but the gift of prophecy. When, some, when the Holy Spirit gives someone the gift of prophecy, they will edify, 
They will exhort and they will comfort. It will bring comfort. That's how you know it's the gift of prophecy. It will edify, which means to build up. Exhort means to encourage and it will comfort. It says, he who speaks in a tongue, verse four, edifies himself. Because remember, again, tongues, we said, builds us up. It doesn't build anybody else up, not the personal tongue. It doesn't build anybody else up. When I'm in my prior, my, my prayer closet in my private time and I'm praying in tongues, praying in the spirit, I'm edified and built up. No one else is. If I'm in the church and I just start praying in tongues and praying in the spirit and it's just, you know, in the body of the believers, they don't know what I'm praying for. It doesn't build them up. But it says here, he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, the gifts and we're looking at these gifts, they are distributed by the spirit and we can but we can ask for these gifts as they're going to be valuable for the local fellowship. That's why Paul is suggesting the gift of prophecy. He said it's more desirable because prophecy edifies the body. He who prophesies builds people up, encourages them and comforts them. And the reason is because he's speaking in the language of the people. That's what makes the difference of the gift of prophecy. Uh, when you hear the gift of prophecy, it's going to be spoken in the language of the people. So if I speak Spanish and I'm in a Spanish congregation, then it's going to be in Spanish. If I spoke French because I'm a French, then it would be in French. It's going to be in the known language of the people. When Paul says that the prophet or the person who's speaking the prophecy builds up, stirs up, he's not giving a definition. He's just saying that this is what happens. So verse four tells us again that it's just tongues just edifies the believer. Okay, so he says, I, uh, verse six says, but now brethren, I come to you, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? So he goes on to talk about if I come to you. So now he's talking about the, the public gift of tongues, the public gift of tongues, because he said in verse five, no one will hear. The hearer will not be edified unless that tongue is interpreted, unless that tongue is interpreted. He says in verse seven, even things without life, whether a flute or a harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? So when we hear the instrument played, we need to know that it has a sound. If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for the battle? So you have the trumpeteer, he's on the wall and he's playing this sound, but the sound is unfamiliar and it's supposed to be a sound to gather people for war, but they don't understand it then they won't gather for war <laughs> and there will be detriment. So he's saying again that the sound has to have a meaning. It has to be interpreted. Verse nine says, so likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be just speaking into the air. Now, 
again, you can be, we could be in a public gathering and, uh, you know, I don't know, the spirit could be high, the power of the Holy Spirit is just moving, the word is powerful going, or the, the songs, praise and worship, the choir is singing powerfully, and then all of a sudden people will just start praying and speaking in tongues, you know, and everybody will just be speaking in tongues, but nobody knows what anyone is saying. That is just the personal tongues. If no interpretation comes forth, that's just people praying in their heavenly language, okay? That's just them praying in their heavenly language. However, it says, there are many, verse 10, there are many, there are, it may be, many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Now, Paul had to bring this teaching to the Corinthian church because they were full of spiritual gifts. When we go back to chapter one, it just talks about they were full of spiritual gifts. However, they weren't using them properly. They were using them to, you know, puff themselves up. They had a spirit of pride. They were using them incorrectly. The people were not being exhorted. And Paul had to straighten this out. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit gives the gifts for the edification of the body of Christ. He gives the gifts for people. He gives he, he gives the gifts so that people will be blessed, not just for us. So this is what he's clearing up. He says, you're zealous for spiritual gifts as we should be. We should be zealous for spiritual gifts. We should desire that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts and that we are allowed to manifest those gifts. We should be zealous for that. We should be desirous for that. He says in 13, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So there it is. Now, we're talking about praying in the spirit or praying in tongues when there's other people around, let's say, in the gathering of the believers, when all of a sudden, and this is, this is how this usually happens, everyone could be praying in the spirit, and then all of a sudden, it's like one person's tongue or one person's prayer language gets louder than everybody else's. And then you know that that's the gift of tongues, that God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit is giving that person something to speak. And so they're speaking and praying it in tongues. However, there should be an interpretation of that, because, again, we all are sitting there and we're waiting to know what is the Holy Spirit saying? And he wants us to know what he's saying. So there should be an interpreter. It says, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, that person may interpret the same speaker who prayed in tongues. They may interpret, but someone else may. That happened to me. I was a baby Christian. I was in church and um, someone gave a tongue, a public tongue. And it got quiet. And we waited. And we waited because we were waiting for the interpretation. Now, the person who gave the tongue didn't give the interpretation, but somebody had it. The Holy Spirit gave it to someone. So we were waiting for that. And I was thinking to, my, thinking to myself, whoever has that interpretation, they need to go ahead and give it so that we would know what's being said. And you got it. The Holy Spirit gave me the interpretation of that person's tongue. 
the tongue that that person gave. They gave me the interpretation. After service, the, uh, the preacher, there was a minister. He was a minister of the gospel that was standing next to me in the service. He came up to me after service and said, Renee, the Holy Spirit gave me the interpretation, but I didn't give it. I got fearful or I thought it was me. You know, he was just talking about why he had hesitation and didn't give it. So the Holy Spirit said, okay, you won't interpret it. I'm going to go to someone else. And that is how the gifts operate. Just because we are given a gift. For example, if, if it's, you know, Christmas time and, and I give you a gift, I say, here, John, here's a gift for you. And you just stand there and look at me and you don't extend your hands and take it. Did you do you have the gift? No. Were you given a gift? Yes. But did you receive the gift? No. So the Holy Spirit does give us gifts, but we have to be willing to receive the gift. How do we do that? We do that by having a pure heart, an open heart, a clean heart, by surrendering and submitting and yielding to the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit to be quiet. And you know, you'll know when, and, and people say, well, I don't know when it's me speaking or if it's the Holy Spirit speaking or, well, you know when it's the devil speaking, but the Holy Spirit speaks to us in a still small voice. He's very quiet. He's very gentle, powerful, but very quiet and gentle. And you'll know. And a lot of times what he's saying to you is contrary to your mind. And I think that's why a lot of people hesitate because it's going against their mind and their reasoning. It doesn't make sense. But when we are open to be used by him, he will use us. Okay. Verse 15. What is the result then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with understanding. And we talked a little bit about this too. With that you can sing in the spirit and you can sing with understanding. You can pray in the spirit. You can pray with understanding. Like I said, most of the times I may start out praying and understanding, you know, Lord, I just thank you for, you know, A, B, C, D or E or whatever. And then after a while, I just seem to run out of words or whatever. And then my spirit takes over because when I'm praying and understanding, I'm praying from my head. But when my spirit takes over, then I pray in the spirit. Because the Holy Spirit then begins to give me words to, to speak and to pray. Jot uh, down to um, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 14, 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. God, Paul, again, wants the church to be mature in the use of the gifts because they can be abused and misused. So he says, I want you to be mature in understanding. Verse 21 says, in the law, it is written with men of other tongues and other lips. I will speak to this people. And yet for all of that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. And this comes from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 22. Therefore, tongues are a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. So tongues is a sign not to believers, but to unbelievers. So again, if all of us are in a church and we're all praying in tongues, it's not a sign for us. We're praying in tongues. We don't know what, you know, one another is saying because, you know, we're just praying in the spirit. But 
he says that prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So tongues are not for the believer, but for unbelievers, because it shows and proves the power of the spirit. It manifests the power of the spirit. However, prophesying is not for unbelievers, people who don't know Christ. The gift of prophecy, when it goes forth, it's not for them. A word of prophecy go forth, it's not for them, but it's for those who believe. Okay, because normally when that word of prophecy comes forth, it has to do with the things of the spirit. And if you're not saved and you're not spirit born, you won't understand it. Verse 23 says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or let's say unbelievers, will they not say they're out of their mind? You have you ever walked into a church or maybe before you got spirit filled yourself and you walked into a church and you heard people praying in tongues, praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, the same thing. And you said, what in the world is going on? And you may have wanted to run out of the church because you were like, "Woo!" However, it says those they will not say they will say that you're out of your mind. But if all prophesy, even an unbeliever, when he comes in, he's convinced. And so he knows that, OK, this is the word of God because he hears the word of God and he's convinced that it's the word of God because he sees the manifestation. And here's the manifestation of the power of God. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So tongues are a sign for the unbeliever. OK, not for the believer, but for unbeliever and prophesying is for the believer. So we want to be sure that we are prophesying. That should be the gift that we desire, because in a public gathering, we want to know what God, the Holy Spirit is saying. So this should be a gift that we definitely desire, that we want the gift of prophecy. Verse 26 goes on. How then is it, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Here it is again. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be at, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn and let one interpret. So here again, two or three tongues. I've been in services where one tongue went forth, two tongues went forth, and even three tongues went forth. And then there should be an interpretation, though. Now, has the, does the interpretation come right after each one? Sometime it has, sometime it has not. One time in particular, three tongues went forth and then someone interpreted. Now, we don't know whether it was he, that that person interpreted all three of the tongues together or was it the last one, the first one? But the, the point is that we knew, the people knew that was in that gathering what it was that the Spirit of God was saying to us because of the interpretation. Now, it says here, um, let one interpret. And we said already that it may be the same person that gives the tongue or it may not. It may not be. It may be a different person. I have given a tongue. And I have interpreted my the tongue that I gave, that the Holy Spirit gave me to give. But there's been times when I've given a tongue and someone else has interpreted. Now, that was years ago. I, I, I don't really operate in the gift. 
of, of, of tongues any longer. That I mean, public tongues, but I do operate in the gift of prophecy. God all, always, not always, but Holy Spirit often gives me now at this season and point in time in my life, the gift of prophecy or word of prophecy. Okay. So, um, verse 28 says, but if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and not and to God. Let us keep silent. So, you know, sometimes people can't keep silent. They'll speak and they'll give a tongue. And this has happened too. I've been in services where the tongue was given and no interpretation came. So did, were we edified? No, because did the Holy Spirit not give it to someone? The Holy Spirit did give it to someone, but they didn't give the interpretation. Remember, that's what that minister that was next to me was talking about. Okay. Um, let's go down to, it says, um, let two or three prophets speak. Let the others judge. This is, again is talking about the gift of prophecy the gift of prophecy, you know, when it goes forth and that it will be judged by another prophet and also, or by a prophet could be judged by a prophet. This also has to do with the office of a prophet. When a prophet speaks that when they speak that word, because a prophet can give a word of prophecy, a word to exhort, to comfort, to edify, then the other prophets in the room get to judge that, that word. Okay. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let him, let the first keep silent. So this is talking order. Everybody can't be talking at the same time. Verse 31 says, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And I love this because this uh, lets us know that you are in control. And there are sometimes people that are uncontrollably prophesying uncontrollably speaking in tongues all out of order someone else is praying and they're praying in tongues and you can't hear what the person is saying because they are praying in tongues I just can't help it yes you can because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman he's not the author of confusion it's just like when people are trying to talk at the same time that's why I I don't care for those talk shows and a lot of them most of the time it's with women it's like the view and you know all those other talk shows because Sometimes all of the women are talking at the same time. It gives me a headache. It gives me a headache. You can't hear every, what everybody is saying. And it's the same thing with the public use of the gifts, exercising the gifts publicly. Okay. Uh, it, it says there, verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but they are submissive as the law also says. And if they want something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now, this is a very controversial passage of scripture because you have a lot of denominations and beliefs that say women are not supposed to preach the gospel and they base it on this. Now there's danger in reading one scripture verse and taking it out of context. Okay. We have to look at the fact that this is talking about how to do and how to exercise the gifts decent and in order so that all will be edified and exhorted and God will be glorified. This is talking about using the vocal 
our mouths in a way that is in order. Now, what was happening when you read and look at the history of the church, the early church in particular, the early church in particular separated the men and the women. The women sat on one side and the men sat on the other. So what was happening is that when the message was going forth, women were kind of whispering across the aisle or trying to get the attention of their husband to find out what is being said, what's being talked about. And this is, was causing, of course, confusion and chaos, as it would. So this is why the apostle dealt with this in talking about that women, you know, they were asking questions and, you know, they weren't really permitted to ask questions in church. And God was saying, or Paul was saying, by permission of the spirit, to let them ask these questions at home. Okay. Now, one thing that I love about the Apostle Paul, there are times when he says, I speak this because the Holy Spirit is speaking, and then I speak this by permission. And the Holy Spirit will allow us to speak things that are coming directly from him, or sometimes he allows us to speak things that we are just speaking from our spirit, but he allows them for whatever reason. But this scripture is by no means saying that women should not preach and be preachers in church. It just simplifies and, and causes us to look at the order that when instead of asking questions, when service is going on, wait until they get home. Paul was saying, wait until they get home and then ask what is going on. Ask the questions then. Okay. That's clear. That's clear. Don't take scripture out of context. Read the verses before it and the verses after it so you can understand what that verse means 37 says if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual let him acknowledge that the things which i write to you are the commandments of the lord but if anyone is ignorant let him be ignorant therefore brethren desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues let all things be done decently and in order so there again he's saying let us desire to prophesy, let things be done decent and in order, and let us uh, not forbid the gift of tongues. Let's continue with, and we're going to close this out with looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I love this uh, chapter, especially in the beginning, because again, we're still looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how they're supposed to operate, and what the purpose of those gifts are, and that they're supposed to be done in unity. Okay, I therefore, Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to have a walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit, keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And here, even in these verses four through six, we see the Godhead. It says there is one body and one spirit. That's God, the spirit. We see verse five, one Lord. That's God, the son. And verse six. God the Father, one God and Father. So this is um, 
talking about how they are all unified and they all act in unity. This is what uh, they are requiring of us as the children of God. Verse seven says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Okay, so look at this. He gave gifts to men. Who did? The Holy Spirit. When Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came, he gave gifts to men. Verse 9 says, now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And so we know that Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth. That's a whole nother teaching and talking about Sheol, Hades, where those who had not, because Christ had not yet come, so the righteous ones were held in Sheol, Hades. However, when Jesus came, he, when he died, he went into Sheol, Hades. He took them captive. He, that's what it means when, means when it said he led captivity captive. He took them and he took them to what we now call paradise. Okay. So he had to first descend before he ascended. Okay, and it says, verse 10, he who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens. Verse 11 says, and he, he himself gave some, this is who he assigned, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are gifts that Jesus gave to the body of Christ, but they are empowered, these gifts are empowered through the Holy Spirit. So here's more gifts here. These are the gifts that Jesus himself gave. Some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What for? Verse 12 tells us for the equipping of the saints. That's the first purpose of a pastor, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. Secondly, for the work of the ministry, because there's work to be done. And third, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. So again, the Apostle Paul, even here in the Ephesians church, is letting them know that these gifts are given by God the, the, the Son and God the Holy Spirit, who also has given gifts. And the purpose of these gifts is to edify the church. Okay, now, he these, these things have to be done in order. So, the Apostle, the Prophet, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher will look at those offices in the body of Christ on next week as we continue in looking at his gifts. And we will also go back to First uh, Corinthians chapter 12 and look at some more gifts. So we are loaded with gifts. The Holy Spirit is desiring that we operate in power. He's desiring that the body of Christ is edified. He's desiring that the world comes to the knowledge of Jesus and he empowers us to be witnesses in order to do so. And he also gives us an arsenal. We are given, each one of us are given an arsenal of gifts in which to do this through. So we'll look at this on next week as we continue.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this teaching that you've given us on today. Thank you for just everything that you have spoken to us by your Spirit since we started this in looking at the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that we hear your words clearly today. Thank you for um, empowering us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, thank you for boldness. We pray for boldness that we will be witnesses about you, that we will share the love of God with someone, even on today. And Lord, I just repent for my own personal self that as zealous as I was and as passionate as I was in the earlier years, I pray for that same passion and that zeal to return like never before, that the love of Jesus and the love of God will so permeate my heart and the hearts of every person that is even listening, that, Lord, we will be on fire to share the good news with someone. Let, it, let today not go by without us having done so. Thank you for boldness, Lord. I bind the spirit of fear, not given us fear. Holy Spirit, courageously cause us to step out. You said you would fill our mouths with whatever we need to speak or say. In those situations where we have might have been even threatened and 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 feel like we can't speak, thank you for the boldness to do so. Thank you for the words to do so. How we pray for the spiritual gifts, whatever gift that you desire for us to have that will edify the body of Christ, that will edify people, and that will glorify Jesus. That's the gift that we want. We want to be used by you. So we open up ourselves and surrender ourselves for your glory. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for um, being our helper. Thank you for being our standby. Thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. Empower us to be witnesses. Fill us to the overflowing. Let us flow in our gifts. Let us be bold and courageous for the gospel, for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Victorious Life is Yours. Each week, I will cheer you on to cross your finish lines of victory. You can find me on social media and on my website, reneemariejones.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and comment. Until the next time, victorious ones.